Would you let a stranger that doesn't speak your language spend the night? Millions of people around the world are doing this every day, and we get to talk to one of the people who started this phenomenon today on Globally Speaking. Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I'm Renato Beninato. And I'm Michael Stevens. And today on Globally Speaking, we're talking with one of the hottest properties on the internet, one of the brands that completely revolutionized travel. Yeah, business travel, personal travel, you name it, it's changed. And actually, Renato, I think you had your first experience on this platform with me. It was. We went to on a business trip to New York and you didn't book a hotel. We ended up in this very nice apartment and we shared that it was a two bedroom with a small kitchen. So we're going to listen from Airbnb how they make this happen, this magic happen all over the world. My name is Dan Hill. I'm a director of product at Airbnb, focusing on growth and internationalization and localization is, is a part of that, that work. I joined Airbnb about five years ago and have seen the company grow from you know, pretty early to, to where we are today. And day to day, I, I work with product managers and, and designers and engineers and data scientists and, and marketers to think about how Airbnb grows around the world. And Dan, I know I would find this hard to believe, but we might have a listener who doesn't know what Airbnb is. Airbnb is a platform that allows locals to share their homes, their experiences with people visiting. And it allows guests, travelers, when they travel the world, instead of staying in a hotel or staying in that type of accommodation, to really experience a city or neighborhood um, through the eyes of a local by, by staying with them. Airbnb provides a platform that makes that a safe, secure, easy way to transact, um, bring people together online. So Airbnb is a poster child for an industry that is global by nature, which is travel and hospitality. It's about tourism. It's about going places and visiting other areas. It started naturally here in the United States, but you have global presence. I, I have booked, I have stayed at Airbnbs in the Czech Republic, in Finland, in France, in Germany, which wasn't a very good experience. But it's amazing how widespread Airbnb has become and how it, it is completely changing the, the travel business. What was the journey at Airbnb from going from a, a startup to a global power and being international almost immediately? Yeah, so maybe just to back up a little bit, about 10 years ago now, I and a co-founder, Stephen, and I started a company in London called Crash Powder, which we'd never heard of Airbnb. It, it, we, we started just about a week actually after they did. So something was in the water. <laughs> something exactly. was in the water There's, for you guys. Well, actually, we can talk more about this, but around 2007, 2008, there was a recession. And this was sort of one, one of, of several, but one of these sort of motivating factors. People were 
looking for money. People were thinking about ways they could become sort of micro, micro entrepreneurs. People who were traveling were thinking, you know, how do I find a better value when I travel? How can I afford to keep traveling and, and discovering new places if I can't necessarily afford the things I used to be able to? So we started this company, Crash Powder, um, based out of London. And over the next sort of three or four years, we became sort of the biggest peer-to-peer or sharing economy accommodation provider in Europe. Airbnb, meanwhile, had begun in the US and San Francisco and, and really grown tremendously in New York and LA and these places. In 2012, we got talking to Airbnb and, and realized that you know really we were better off working together on this new way of travel versus competing. And so Airbnb had acquired Crash Powder and I moved out to California, San Francisco, to join Airbnb. Mm. And at that point, Airbnb was a largely, I see the majority of the business was, was in the US still. Um, so in 2012, the company really began looking at, at Europe. We opened up offices all over Europe. And we really started getting into you know, localization and translation and really understanding how we could get into the European market. And then you know, 2000, probably 13, 14 was, was a big year of expanding into a couple of years, expanding into APAC for us. And we, we can talk more about the different challenges along the way there. But I'd say about 2015, we'd sort of really cemented our global position. You look at, say, 2016, and we started to enter some markets like Cuba and China more seriously. Where today now we're in basically every country in the world apart from a couple that the U.S. has has sanctions against. But I think we're one of the few few companies and certainly one of the few Western consumer companies that, that really does have a very meaningful presence in basically every country in the world. Yeah, you're operating everywhere. And Dan, was there a different mindset between Crashpad and Airbnb and how it was accepted? Did Americans think differently about Europeans in sharing? And then I would imagine once you got to Asia, they thought differently as well. That's an interesting question, actually. So I would say, perhaps in a, in a generalization, those of us you know, who grew up in Europe were very used to, from a very early age, uh, traveling across borders. We'd often take family vacations from London. We'd go to the south of France. And so from a very early age, I think, in Europe and, and in APAC, you know, cross-border travel is a, is a huge part of our lives. Mm-hmm. America being such a, an enormous country, there's so much travel you can do even within the country before people perhaps think about overseas travel. But that said, one of the really interesting things about Airbnb and the sort of sharing economy or this idea of connecting with real people, wanting local experiences, wanting to actually meet and talk to locals when you travel, we've actually found is a very global trend. You know, the differences between a traveler from China and a traveler from Cuba and a traveler from London are actually very few. They all want the same authentic experiences. They want to meet people. They want to connect and they want to explore the world. And so in that sense, I think the brand and what we stand for is actually a very global, a globally shared phenomenon. And one of the things that I find very interesting is that the product is local and it's not owned by Airbnb. You you facilitate renting a, a bed, a bedroom, a home, a house, a, a farm. But all the content is local. One of the things that I find fascinating is how successful you have been using raw machine translation inside the user experience in your website. All pundits in the industry will say, this is a terrible marketing idea to use machine translation in your website. And you just do it. And yep. it seems to work. <laughs> what What is the the general experience. Why do you think that that goes against all the recommendations of the experts and it still works? Great question. 
obviously there's a few angles to this. So just just for context, in the product itself or in the in the website and the app, we have a couple of different types of content. We have content obviously that Airbnb has written, the text that is part of the application and the product and the platform itself. And that of course we we translate, we hope, to a very high quality. We do it through vendors and in-house teams and you know we we strive to make that as local as possible. And a lot of that is templatized, right? You you yes. have you just answer a question uh, how many rooms you have. No, no, not the description, but the the characteristics of the location, right? What are what are the policies? You can smoke, you can smoke, and things like that. It's like check the box so it's exactly. standard for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that structured data or just the sort of like, you know, our, our help center or articles about how it works are all translated by by us and, and to a high quality. We then have content that is produced by the host. They're writing about their listing and their, their location. And we allow hosts to write that description in as many languages as they speak. And so, I mean, over 50% of our hosts are non-English speakers. And so, I mean, a wonderful thing about large parts of the world is many people are bilingual or trilingual. And so we have many hosts who can write their listing in Spanish and they can write it in, in English or they can write it in German and French. And so in that sense, we see you know, a lot of people already are able to write their listings in, in multiple languages. And then we have a third category of content, which is things like the reviews that guests leave. So I go stay perhaps with an Italian. I don't speak Italian, but I could write my, so maybe the listing is in Italian, but my review is in, in English of that listing. And so we have these sort of three, three parts of the puzzle that we, we sort of try and try and match up. And I mean, I think people understand that the nature of this product and what Airbnb is, is about travel and meeting people. And part of that magic of travel is is the sort of slightly awkward language barrier, perhaps. It's, it's when you go somewhere where you feel a little bit outside your comfort zone and you're, you're trying to get by with a few words. And that's where I think actually people's expectation of, of the quality of translation is they're not expecting everything to be in perfect English or perfect French or perfect Italian. It somewhat loses a little bit of that authenticity, I think, when it feels very standardized and sort of homogenous. And so that's why I think, you know, we have been able to be successful with more machine translation, whether it's Google's old model or as you had in your podcast, some of their newer neural net translation. Actually, that doesn't, I think, detract from the experience of, of you know reaching out to somebody who who is different from you and speaks a different language. Well, my my personal experience, yeah, I had to rent an apartment in Stuttgart, and the owner was Iraqi, and he spoke Arabic and German. He didn't speak English, and I don't speak German or Arabic. And we communicated, we chatted, mm-hmm. we negotiated, we set an appointment to meet at the location all through the Airbnb interface. For me, everything in English using machine translation. And it was quite efficient. I was impressed. Yeah. 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 There's something very, like you use the word authentic and genuine to create that. And that creates a issue of trust because you know, yes, I'm dealing with a person and this person happens to be different than me. And maybe there's even a greater level of patience in expectations. Absolutely. I think, I mean, the people who use Airbnb, what Airbnb really offers is a chance to explore neighborhoods you wouldn't otherwise get to be in, to actually connect with local people and local experiences when you travel. And if you look at Paris, for example, you look at where the hotels are predominantly built, you know, they're built in the sort of downtown areas, they're very close together. Airbnbs cover a whole range of neighborhoods and areas. And so what Airbnb offers and what people who use Airbnb, I think, love about it is a chance to actually connect with more of the sort of everyday local people in a, in a particular place to discover the things that locals want to do and how they live their lives and, and, and what it's like to be a Parisian in this, in this case. And in that sense, people are very 
understanding. People, you know, get that people speak different languages, have different cultures. And that's part of, I think, the magic that people actually love about travel and about Airbnb. Dan, you shared with me one example that wasn't exactly a success for you guys related to a marketing campaign you had. And it was about inviting someone into your house. Yes. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, I think I would say whilst a lot of the principles of Airbnb and and the values that we have are very global, the idea of inclusiveness, diversity, meeting people, connections, local experiences, the way different cultures and different languages express those things is very different. You know, different languages have very different words to mean a lot of these sort of more nuanced ideas. And, you know, we, we were internally looking at trying to sort of, we ran a campaign around, it was called One Less Stranger. And the idea was that when two people from different cultures connected, there was one less stranger in the world. And when people aren't strangers and you understand each other, that's where we get tolerance and, and inclusivity. Yep. A beautiful idea. Beautiful idea yep. concept. Yeah. However, translating the phrase one less stranger in different languages is actually very challenging. You know, in English, those words, everyone gets them and they get the poetry of it. In German, we had a hard time, you know, and the word stranger can act, is actually very close to the word for foreigner. And really, it, you know, we, we had a hard time really trying to figure out how do we translate one less stranger into into languages like German. It's not one less foreigner, we're trying to say. Right. But you know, so that, that's where it was a really a real challenge. Yeah. And what did, you guys ended up, you went forward the campaign or did you make did. some changes? Yeah. No, I mean, we absolutely localized it. I mean, we sort of transcreated the idea into each local market. I can't remember exactly where we ended up in German, but that was one of the toughest ones to sort of figure out how to express that sentiment in that language. Yeah. Well, and in the in the context, this was a while ago, but the ideas of the immigration and all the challenges there, you definitely didn't want to hit a hot button on that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, Dan, one of the things that I love about the business that we're in, and this this concept of localization, international, and, and plus the travel element on your case, is unexpected patterns that you find. Airbnb is a huge data collection environment. Was there something totally unexpected that you have found in the behavior of different cultures or different groups of people that you were able to derive from the data that you collect through Airbnb? Perhaps one interesting observation that I had, which was counterintuitive to me, was that actually the opposite, almost. People are far more similar globally than I expected them to be. I expected when we thought about localization and translation, particularly of of the sort of broad concept of Airbnb and the product itself, that we would, we would have to do a lot of very, very different things by different markets to, to be successful. Now, for sure, things like payment methods, things like literal just language of the product itself, we, we absolutely translate and localize. But as you said in your example, people are actually quite capable of communicating through, they have a shared language somewhere, they can figure out how to communicate. Even tools like Google Translate allow people to really communicate effectively. And when we look at particularly today, things like mobile penetration around the world, iOS and Android, Actually, almost every country in the world has mobile technology now. And so what was surprised to me was actually how similar a lot of the world is when it comes to travel and language and thinking about how language is used when you travel. Perhaps some of the things that were actually different by different different regions. Recently, we've been doing some work on our sort of machine translation and how we could improve it. And we, we've had a hypothesis that Machine translation, if we think you can't read that language, is is a, a good thing. It helps you better understand the content. And we got some really interesting results out of that. 
And one of the findings we're, we're sort of hitting on is actually, although we can't put a number to it yet, many more people are bi or trilingual than we expected. Mm. And so although the, the listing may be in French and you, maybe, you, you know, we think you only speak English, we actually found that machine translating it from French to English was often actually a worse experience than you actually being able to read the original French with a little bit of difficulty. And so I think particularly as we look across Europe and, and APAC, we're actually, I, I think we have been underestimating how many people are actually reasonably fluent in you know, more than one language. So you will see that they will go in, let's say, with their Italian user interface and they read the room description is in Portuguese or French or English, and they will not use the machine translation. They will just book without clicking that button. Actually, yeah, what we found is in that example, we tested essentially automatically translating it from the original source language to the, the language that your interface is, is set to. And we actually tested it both with, with machine translation and we ran a large test with professional high-quality translation. And we actually just found that We'd assume that, the, the, in this case, the Italian couldn't read, read Portuguese, say. Actually, in many cases, we, we, people, I think, are much more capable of reading these other languages than, than we thought. Well, proving the opposite is always good news, right? Is that yeah. uh, you tested something and, and you prove yourself wrong is always a, a positive outcome. That's Absolutely. nice. Yeah. And how, how about destinations? Is there... I understand that people travel to certain destinations for different reasons. So we know that the Chinese will travel to certain locations for shopping. I know, being a Brazilian, that Brazilians would come to the United States essentially to shop. And one comparison that I heard is that the Japanese and the Brazilians spend more or less the same amount of money per trip to New York but the Brazilians do that in 10 days and the Japanese do that in three days or something wow. like that. Well, Dan, I, I think this leads us into something you've written a bit about, and that is there are a lot of variables when you're trying to price someone's house or room globally. Yeah. How does Airbnb approach that part of the business? And let me add another layer to this question is how do you think we could use your experience and your knowledge in using the data that you have to, to determine pricing to in the language business? Yeah. Is there any knowledge that we can transfer to this business? Great question. So to give the sort of two-minute summary of the pricing and still doing, we're essentially on the host side, on the supply side, what Airbnb is really doing is enabling micro-entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. people to take an asset they already have, their home or a passion they already have, you know, that they, they do, and turn it into a bit of a, a small business. And For many people, the part they are amazing at, you know, is providing hospitality. It's being welcoming people into your home, into your neighborhood. But some of it, you know, is not obvious and it's hard. Like, how much should I charge for my time or my, my space? And a few years ago, we were trying to understand how to help people list their space on Airbnb. And people are very easy at filling out their, their name, their address, you know, how many bedrooms they have and these things. But The question of price was one people had never really had to think about before. How much is my place worth? What is a fair fair price? Do I compare to hotels? Do I compare to my uh, neighborhoods? Do I compare to what I'm trying to get out of this? How do I think about it? And so we started using machine learning. And, and you know, we could obviously look across millions and millions of past bookings and start to provide recommendations of people. Hey, based on this type of listing that you have, based on the location, this is what we think a good price would be. This is what, this is what the market rate is for that type of listing. 
and since then we've developed that into you know to think about things like seasonality mm. to factor in major events that may happen we've launched things that let hosts sort of more input what what they consider their sort of lower and upper bounds and then we can optimize within that and so there's a variety of stuff we've done there to help people think about how to set their price yeah i guess the demand the demand would probably be influenced a lot by that less people from the us traveling to canada because the dollars not doing as well. And so then they just go somewhere else where it could be better. So the algorithm's yep. not as effective. Gotcha. There's some work we're doing right now, actually, which is on the, in, in the localization space, translation space, which is somewhat similar. We've actually started to try and predict which are the most important languages for your listing to be translated to based on where we see people visiting that, that location. So we're building a model that we're hoping will tell us Great. If you publish a listing in this neighborhood in London, it should absolutely be in French, Portuguese, and Croatian. If you publish this listing in Tokyo, it really needs to be in English, simplified Chinese, and French, for example. Mm. And so this is where we're trying to use big data and looking at you know machine learning to actually help us really understand, rather than sort of thinking about translating every, everything into every language, what are the actual main corridors and what are the language barriers that are most difficult to overcome and which are the ones that actually don't need you know the additional help of translation so this is work we're thinking about now fascinating yeah Yeah. so you're not going to translate into turkish to a place where you never get turkish people but that's also you take away the opportunity of turks who want to go there to go there but if you have the trends and if you have the the majority that's what you want to cater to i think it's fascinating yeah, so for us, it's really, of course, we want everybody to be able to travel anywhere. Yeah, and for us, this is perhaps a way of helping prioritize that effort and that work. Instead of thinking about it country by country, we can think about it in a much more granular and more specific way and really identify particular listings, locations. And, you know, machine learning can allow us to do that at a large scale so we can actually be like, great, these are the first, you know, these 10,000 listings are the ones all over the world that would most benefit from being in French as well as, as English, say. Now, of course, so, our long-term yeah. goal is to make everything available to everybody, but it's a way that we can actually start to think about that problem. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, like a fit-for-purpose localization. You, exactly. You localize almost on demand. You, well, you have on demand right now with machine translation, but you can optimize and, and increase as a host the likelihood of renting your place by localizing into the people who go into that area. That's, that's exactly. great. So, so one of the things we, you know, I'm hoping we might get out of this is the ability to say to hosts, hey, if you were to add a French description to your, to your listing, you would see you know, X percent more business. Or, but that would really help get you know, a million more people interested in being able to understand you and, you and your place. And so I think there's a lot we could do with this. We're still sort of early in this, but I'm excited by it. What I really love about Airbnb and the work we're doing around localization and translation is it's this wonderful sort of melting pot. The goal of translation is to sort of help people who couldn't understand something understand it in a, in a different language. But then, of course, we have this offline component that when you actually meet the person or you have to communicate with that person, you actually can't sort of pretend that everyone speaks the same language. And so it's this wonderful sort of intersection of both what does it mean to enable people to recognize that people do speak different languages and can't always communicate as easily 
but with the, the technology we can bring to make that a much more seamless experience online. And so I just find it this very interesting sort of you know melting pot between online and offline and, and what it, what language really means in the real world every day to people, but also what it means online and in a product and a technology, how we think about those things. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.